0: Cheers to another episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. I'm your guide, PJ Weintuttle, on this journey of stories showcasing the people behind the wonderful world of wine, where we dive into conversations ranging from terroir, viticulture, to favorite music, superpowers, and more. Please enjoy this episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. Vincent, uh, thank you so much for taking the the, the time today. I can't uh, thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule. I know you've been traveling all around and all about, so I imagine you'd have quite a bit on your plate.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it, AJ. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, we're finally getting back to doing some sales travel in earnest after really a couple of years of doing very little. Um, and so I was in Chicago and I've been down to California and, I'm soon this Sunday to head out for a three-week uh, uh, trip to the East Coast or six different wow. states, to, to different markets. I almost joke that I should have, you know, spring tour t fairs printed <laughs> up because uh, you... it, it seemed like a good idea to put it all together in one trip. And now I look at it and it's all in one trip and it seems so overwhelming, but, but uh-huh. life could be worse.
0: It could be way worse, you know, and it's just glad to get glad to uh, be able to get out and, you know, ex- and yeah. like, do this stuff again, which is great.
1: Yeah. And and really renew connections in the industry, uh, distributor relationships that have survived kind of the, the, the COVID situation. Um, but to truly see these people again for the first time in a couple of years and go to the restaurants and shops that are continue to sell the wines and, and uh Going to Chicago recently was was quite, um, you know, not to overplay it, but I I wasn't sure would anyone remember me? Would would they be like, oh yeah, we still like your wines, or would we just be starting over and have lost all this momentum? And and it was really gratifying that that actually the the trip went better than ever. It seemed like we were building on the past work that hadn't gone away, even though it had been a couple of years. Um, and so it was uh, actually very reassuring uh, that 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 we, we had this interruption, but it, it isn't, it isn't uh, for good. Uh, yeah. So we'll
0: see. Yeah, no, that, that is great. Uh, yeah. So if you don't mind, we'll kind of like take a st- stab at the, the very, very beginning. Um, yeah. It looked like, you know, at the, uh, from what I've read and understood, you had your first uh, epiphany, you know, in the wine world, like when you were four and you were out <laughs> with your parents, yeah, uh, wine tasting. Yeah. And then, you know, many years later, you went back to Copla and you, you know, had that same, uh, sense of smell with the wine and the barrels uh, and everything. I realized
1: I'd been there before, and I, I, I was in my early 20s and thought we must have come to what was Inglenook. At that time was Coppola. Maybe they called Inglenook again, but whatever the case, in fact, that we had been there and we had turned out had gone to Christian Brothers as well. The one time I ever tagged along with a family going to wine tasting, and and you know, as a little kid, it meant a lot of time in the car. It wasn't exciting to me, but I remember right. how it smelled, and uh, and that that got into me. And the I remember coming back to wineries in my twenties. And being like, wait, that's familiar, that's in there deeper than I than I than I guess. So yeah, one right. my wine epiphany was truly when I was, I think, five years old. Uh, so we'll call it five. I didn't Bye, taste on it. that trip, but the aroma <laughs> hooked me.
0: <laughs> well, that that's the important part is the aroma and the scent. That's and right. Everything else, it's yeah. it's all of that. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, the emotion it provo- provokes, the memories, uh, all those things. That that uh, it was great. Those years later, to have that sort of formalization of like, wait a minute, I've been a wine lover for years. I just never knew it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so were your parents big into wine or anything at that point, or like how how?
1: Yeah didn't know they they definitely enjoyed wine and and drank some some nice wines on occasion but for the most part uh i'm the youngest of seven they were both my parents were both born and raised in the depression um so while we had wine they they, this we they they lived very economically we had a lot of uh, a lot of coupons and blue chip stamps not not uh not not you know fan, fancy Bordeaux though once in a blue moon, there a, a nice bottle would come through and I remember my parents my dad especially would be like oh you know that's in if to pop your grandfather likes this or something and uh yeah. I I recreated this you know I understand now later but but for the most part it was uh you know table wines uh wines with dinner um and uh, and so I always grew up around wine, but it was, again, one of those things that might have smelled okay, like a, like ground coffee smelled good, but, but coffee was horrible, right? It's a little good, and, and wine right. might have smelled okay, but uh, the taste was horrible. But later, when I truly did have my own epiphany, yeah, that, that sort of baseline of a family that was wine interested, if not... You know with a lot of cash to throw around at, at fancy wines um and i think the ethic of my family was very much like wine is it's is a great thing but you know you we weren't going to spend too much because that seemed kind of frivolous um so uh so there was very much a kind of a good table wine
0: <laughs> at right home. no I, yeah and there, there's <laughs> yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that it's you know oh 100 because... yeah yeah. 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 And, and to have those special wines, I mean, it just makes it even the experience even more cherished, you know, you can cherish that moment so much more.
1: That's exactly right. I really feel like my wine basis came from wine being a, an everyday or a kind of a, a not special thing in the sense of it being a, a food. Um, but that then there could be very special wines in the world of, of more special wine a more handmade wine um, kind of opened itself to me. And, 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 my family as well, those who are interested in wine certainly are, are intrigued by my journey. And though sometimes they'll say, oh, don't waste the good stuff on me. You know, I, I, I can't tell. It's good. And I'm like, come on, anybody can tell. Like, one thing I like about wine is it can hit you as much as like, I'm, I'm not a clothes horse. I don't, I don't, I don't wear fashionable clothing though. Maybe I should, I don't know, but, no. uh, but I know good fabric when I feel it, you know, you don't need to be right. versed in the stuff to know, like, that's the good stuff. <laughs> I kind of it, think of right. wine the same way. You can taste a wine and be like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not the normal stuff. And, uh, I like that about wine. It, it, it is mysterious and all these things, but it's a common beverage. And at the same time, the specialness can sometimes slap you upside the head without you Having to know much, you're just like, wait a minute, what is this?
0: <laughs> exactly. Art
1: of any kind is that way, music
0: and whatnot. Yeah, right. I I, I couldn't agree more. So when you went back, you know, in, in your 20s or whatnot, uh, you know, you're like, wow, I was I was here again. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. kind of remembering. Uh, but did you know like your career path was at academia at that point or
1: actually i'd been an english major and loved it so much (laughs) i went to grad school for literature and uh, i honestly just felt like i hadn't i hadn't read enough i couldn't believe they'd given me a degree and i hadn't read you know tons of stuff so i kind of went further got a master's and i really wanted to be and i worked for many years in publishing and Uh, I worked for Simon & Schuster in the Bay Area, sort of an imprint of Simon & Schuster. And, uh, but figured perhaps I'd work at a university press or some kind of academic, academia connected uh, job. As it turned out, I ended up uh, being a faculty member. Um, I ended up being a faculty member uh, at two different universities in Oregon. And running education programs where I was not the teacher usually, but I would hire teachers and otherwise, like I did in publishing, you know, where we were working with the authors to try and figure out what we would publish, uh, working with teachers to figure out what our what our classes would include, what the programs would include, Uh, and so I always have taken kind of an editor's approach to this kind of work. My wine interest was very much outside all that, and. And I always like to say, you know, if I ride bicycles, that I don't need to build them. And if I like bikes or if I like wine, I I never thought, oh, I need to make it. But I did fall in uh, unexpectedly with some people making wine and they were like, come help. And I thought, wow, I'm so lucky. (laughs) And uh, I like to think that we'll take anyone (laughs) at harvest time if you're willing to help. (laughs) If you have a pulse, you're in. Uh, and yet, right. I had a pulse and I showed up and I kept showing up and I, for whatever reason, I had an aptitude for it and, uh, and it really took. So wine is the unusual uh, interest I've had where I've really gotten in and, and, and now make it. Um, I, I always have been more, of you know, uh, good surf, but I don't, you know, make surfboards or something, <laughs> uh, but wine surprising to me, I really just fell into the making of it and felt that I found I love it, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. And so you actually started making wine in 2009, or is that like when you were like no, doing full time? Yeah, that's
1: when I, I, I first worked in a winery, really a volunteer <laughs> job uh, in 1999. I was living in California, uh, and in the next year, as part of the plan, and part for wine, though it wasn't the first reason, uh, I moved to Oregon with my family truly to raise a family in Oregon, uh, the Bay Area where we lived was great, but we were just really wanted to be in Oregon. I also secretly thought, you know, there's a wine dream, and I think it's an Oregon wine dream uh, for me. I think that there's an excitement here. There's something about the Willamette Valley that I found to be true, but that I suspected was where I wanted to be to make wine. Um, but I'd, I had fallen in with someone who had met a home winemaker. And then had already launched a commercial winery and had become successful very early on and it's gone on to great success, which is fantastic. But their model was if you can make good wine, you know, make commercial amounts of it, more than you need. It's hard to make five gallons of good wine. Um, it's like making a tiny cake, you know, you kinda you don't <laughs> have enough proportion or a tiny loaf of bread. It's almost a trick, you know. Um, But so to make barrels of wine, um, work with commercial vineyards, you know, do your best to meet growers who will sell to you, do nothing to cause them trouble, pay them, (laughs) make sure you're a good customer. And you'd be surprised. You might be able to work with really good fruit and make wines that probably will be better for working with good fruit. and uh, and that you want to kind of do that, perhaps as your apprenticing and continuing your learning in wineries. And I essentially followed that loose plan for the next decade. So from the year 2000 to launching my own production in 09, I worked in wineries at harvest time, flexing in my day job, working bottling days, filtering days, any day I could kind of help out the seller and make it work with the day job. I was making home wine from serious vineyards, including Zenith Vineyard that I still work with. Um, And so I was able to make home wines that I was proud of, and I I would still serve them as part of my collection, part of my library. Uh, And so I felt really good about that, that here we're making wine, it's good wine, it's not some hope that it'll be good someday. Uh, And by nine, I really felt confident that I could make wine in a commercial facility that therefore was legal to be sold, and that we weren't just, we're taking enough chances, but I knew <laughs> right, I could right. make good wine. And uh, and so in 09, I started with just 225 cases, nine barrels of Pinot Noir. Um, and now I make about 2,200 cases. And uh, in 2015, I was able to leave the academic and publishing work full time and go into wine, I should say, full time. I left my other careers at that point. And uh, have not looked back. And at this point, I, I suspect I'm not very employable outside of what I do and wine. So it better keep working.
0: I I think you're totally fine. I mean, it's it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's I think you're one of those kind of unknown secrets, like you know, if you know, you know, kind of kind of producers and. Yeah, I No, you're welcome. It's when I first heard about you, I was like, how, how in the heck did I not know? But (laughs) you know, once you kind of get into the inner circle and the group, uh, you, you know, the, the wines that you create are outstanding and great and you're so approachable and you know, everything you do is, is top notch. Um, so, I mean, if you could give yourself any advice and like go back to 2009, is there anything that you would, you would tell your, your younger self?
1: Um, that's a great, that's a great question. I, I, I can't, I, the winemaking adventure has been the most unusual thing for me because I never felt like I was that great at stuff and I'm not that great at wine, but I clearly is working enough that I uh, fooled enough people. Ha ha ha. That, uh, <laughs> no, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, I would have, I would say to my younger self though, apparently I was, I was willing to give it a shot, but I, I would tell that 2009 me Definitely do it. Do not let people tell you this is crazy. Um, The smart thing I think I did was I was able to start it as a side thing. And the worst thing that would have happened if I had to wind it down was it was just the you know sort of the the shame or whatever. I would have lost some money with a lot, but I hadn't you know mortgaged the farm or the house. Right, right, right. I was, and so I would re I would say that was a smart thing to do. Don't to be all in in something. You don't have to literally be all in. Because you could really lose everything, and you don't need to. So just right. kind of work at it, ratchet it up, and really uh, understand that the, the long-term goal. If, if I always tell people this, if your long-term goal is to be in wine, then start now. But at the same time, you, it doesn't all have to be right now. Because if you all of a sudden were a full-time winemaker you have a winery, and like five years from now, you might be like, "Well, I'm done with that. I'm tired of it. You know, uh, I don't know." <laughs> but, but in a way, uh, you know. You, if you're really into something, you're, you're gonna be, or you should be into it 10, 20 years from now. So don't worry, it doesn't all have to happen right now. And in a way, it takes pressure off this vintage being everything, or if this wine isn't the best wine ever, I'll never live another day. Like, no, 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 there <laughs> will be another vintage. In right. some ways, the experience has, has really, I mean, I, I don't, I, there's a ton of romance in wine. I hate it when people say, there's, you know, don't get caught up in the romance. Like. Why not? I mean, there's other ways to make a living. There's, this is a pretty good one. Uh, right. Tastes good, you know. The it, the it, view is usually pretty nice at <laughs> vineyards. You know, could be worse, right? Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, it's a very serious business, and the truth is that uh, the next harvest, and the next growing season, will come before you know it. And so, when we get all wrapped up in what this wine needs to be, or what you know, we just put a lot on any one thing in our in our work we have to remember there will be more years there will be more vintages almost to the point where it's unrelenting and here comes another vintage like another baby and you're like wait do we have do we need another vintage Have we sold enough wine do we have you know do you know do we have food for the new baby it's it's almost a similar feeling like you almost there's a uh, you want to be a responsible producer by not making too much, you know, it's also good business, <laughs> right. but, but you almost feel emotionally like, wait, where am I gonna put this all? And, you know, I'm not taking care of everything right if it's if it's too much. So I would just remind that early person, be your it for the long haul, stay true to what you're doing, be about something, try not to make wine for everyone because you won't have enough for them anyway. So you might as well oh. focus on what you're trying to do and try and do it well and look for the people who'd be interested and once in a while, that'll be somebody who's like, "Yeah, I'm not interested." And you have to be like, "Okay, that's fine. And it's not a personal affront." Yeah. Um, but this is true of any, you know, if you're a graphic designer or whatever, you know, you're yeah. looking for the people it works with. It doesn't have to be everyone. So,
0: right? No, I, yeah, it's I, fun I, to think back. <laughs> it is. It is. It, it is fun. It's, uh, uh, it is fun to to think back and look upon you know what you've accomplished and you know where you've gone. Um you know, it's, yeah. I think, you know, kind of early on your, your grassroots marketing was a bunch of, you know, online kind of bulletin board systems or not bulletin board systems, but like message boards and whatnot. And.
1: Yeah. And I had a blog actually, one of my own <laughs> directors at, at uh, Portland state university, he said he was sort of challenging one time, uh, in his own um, old, in his British way. He was this great guy, Victor Walsh who was a fantastic mentor, but he, essentially said, you know, if you're all about this wine stuff and, you know, you ought to be writing about it, you know, you should start a blog. And it was the best idea. This was literally like 2004, you know, so I felt pretty early in sharing what I was essentially learning. I called it elevage, which in wine is the education of wine, the the raising of the wine from the winemaking stage to the bottling, mostly barrel aging. Um, But here I was in education and I joked that this was you know, how I was getting schooled by wine and by wine making, and I just wanted to share that, uh, and I, through writing my blog posts for years, um, it was a great outlet when I had such an interest in being in wine, and I wasn't in it, so I felt like, well, here's something I can be doing to make it happen now. Um, it's interesting, I have more to blog about than ever, but no time, and just kind of, and I don't have that outlet, like I need to read a book, something else that's an outlet away from wine now. So it's interesting there. the blogging has gone away. But um, but it was really important for me to basically share what I was doing and to have people who were looking for the, what I ended up doing. They would find me. They weren't looking for Vincent Fritchie, winemaker in Oregon. They were like natural wines or, you know, no, no, nothing added or whatever they might be searching in terms of right. Pinot Noir, then they might find me. And I found the power of the internet was people finding my content and not looking for me. And then they'd be like, wow, this is interesting. And I learned very early on, I put a thing on my site saying, hey, if you wanna get on my list, and I'll be in touch with you over time about wines I make, et cetera, subscribe to my list, you know, get on my list. And it's been the business plan ever since. Basically, make an invitation to anybody who's interested to join my list. And then once they're on my list I can write to them and you know, sure it's marketing, but basically once you get an orbit, I figure I if you're interested in wine, I'll I'll make you offers on wines and if you're interested, come taste, I won't charge you. Um and if you want to buy, buy and and it's turned out to be a pretty good organic business model. Invite people to be a part of what you're doing and then give them offered opportunities to purchase and never force them to do anything. And uh they seem to like that.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, so, yeah, yeah, and
1: yeah. And, and so, from 09 to to today, direct sales have always been a key part of my business. Uh, but certainly, I distribute a lot. As I started by saying, I have a whole bunch of distributors in, around the country and in Canada and the UK. And uh, so, part of the fun and part of the work is to go visit and work with them and and really, you know, make those connections too. So, the, both sides of the business are really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. Oh, uh, I could be totally off on this on this kind of next segment, but it looked sure. like about five years ago in 2017, you were working on on some code to uh, it was like a a Google spreadsheet that you're trying to email attach as a as a PDF. Do you recall that at all?
1: I don't.
0: Oh, um, you don't? Okay. No, well, maybe. maybe. I mean, maybe there's somebody <laughs> else. You know maybe there was somebody else out there that was portraying you and it was like, wow, you were doing actual code in 2017. And like, that yeah. doesn't seem like you. So I was just, I was really curious.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I, I am not sure about that though. It might've been, I I've dabbled around in these kinds of things, but I, it's funny actually in recent years, I was trying to redo a website and I've, I've come to the understanding both in the mix of things I have to do. And and I want to do, of course, Uh, my skills in terms of code and and really the the current generation of websites and things like that. It's like out of my league. It's sort of like leveling up. I think I got to high school. I used to play little league baseball and I was pretty good. And I got to high school and I went to this like fancy high school where sports was a big deal. And I went out to travel for the team and I had like jeans on and a T-shirt. And there were kids with like their own uniforms. Like this was like private you know, semi-pro children. You know, I'm like <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> my is done. I feel that way with, with any web or what, you know trying to update code on my site. I'm like, okay, I've reached my limit. We're done. <laughs> this is yeah, no I jump off. So, so that may. That, I'm not sure if that was part of it, but I. uh, I, at this point, definitely not a coder.
0: Yeah, no, and and I, and I can totally understand that. But uh, you know, so I got that. I found that off of the Stack Overflow, and uh, yeah. you, and whoever was uh, <laughs> writing the answer was like, "Hey, once I slept on it, you know, I was able to figure out what was going on." And so, the actual question that I was going to ask yeah, was: sure. Has there been anything in winemaking where, like, you're stumped? And like you just a good night's sleep and you wake up in the next morning and you're like, oh yeah, I need to do this.
1: Yeah. It, yes. And no, in that I, sometimes I I'm, I'm concerned that I might come off as a little too nonchalant or like if I were hearing me, I would be really annoyed. So I don't know how quite to express this, but I I've really, something, the most surprising thing and most profound thing about wine making is that I've, I really do very little. And I have learned that the more I don't do, the better it is. And so really the point of fact, answer is I may have gone to bed thinking I've got a problem with a ferment or I've got a barrel that's highly reduced and smells like, you know, like your foot in a plastic shoe. And you're like, it just smells, you know, we need to air that out or do something and make it better than that. Um, And honestly, the problems that I will almost invariably resolve themselves. They're sort of transitory things that might equate it to a cake is baking in the oven and you're looking at it through the window and you think, Oh no, something's not right. You know, I would almost just say timeout pretty much nothing you're going to do by opening the oven, by moving the the baking cakes that are still mostly liquid, like nothing is going to help right now. In fact, you're just going to ruin it.
0: In fact, you're just going to make it worse. Open
1: the oven. Don't touch the cakes. Just let them be. And, uh, and not that that means the cake's going to be great, but, uh, but wine I've really found to be that for the most part, what I've had to do is step away, regain kind of an emotional clarity, and usually almost invariably not do what you think you're supposed to do. Like something's wrong, React. And I like to equate it to raising children. Uh, we, we're, you know, we're, I'm not a careless parent. The kids don't play in the streets. But, uh, but they will play in the front lawn. And some people right. are like, oh, no, that would be too dangerous. Like, no, I don't think that's crazy. Um, and so what we're trying to do with the wines is, is guide them to be what they are going to be to the best of their ability. But a lot of the intervention might end up hampering or stymieing their development and be more about our fears of what could possibly go wrong or, 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 Oh, I want to go to law school. Now little, little Billy's going to go in my place kind of. <laughs> sometimes we as winemakers sort of want to fix right. our old wrongs by the new wine. And I've learned that stepping away, taking a deep breath, um, will often allay the, that need to react. And so much of my winemaking is about allowing the wine to be. And, uh, And I'm honestly, I'm surprised that early me would have heard, did hear from people, oh, you're kind of a dilettante, That you'll learn, like, you can't approach it that way, or you can maybe if you're a home winemaker, but you can't if you're a commercial winemaker with a real business. I've only learned that the the bigger I go into this, the, the easier it is to let go because, well, one, there's a ton of ferments you do, even a small winery has a ton of different lots that they're making each year and so any one of them could possibly screw up and you won't be out um but right. the other side is that i i've maybe once or no, a couple times i basically had to throw out wine um it, but i tell you the batting average for success is way better than i i would have expected and i don't know any winemaker who couldn't look back on their career and say oh yeah the 2012 KMA like hey yeah that was hey don't talk about that you know so Everybody's right. got one or two, and so of course. I, I really found it to be true that the beauty of wine is it—it it is a more forgiving medium. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not going to have back, you know bacterial growth that hurts people. It's either going to be good or not. And for the most part, I found I, I want to do less, and and I've only learned that more and more over the years. It's not like less. It's not like you, I started idealistically and changed. I'm <laughs> shocked at how. <laughs> how
0: true it is. Right. And right. The, and onward we go. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know, you're talking about parenting and, you know, your, your son, Martin. So if I understand correctly, he's going to college in, in Hawaii.
1: Yes. He is a freshman or just finished. I guess we call him a summer grader now,
0: <laughs> <It's the laughs>
1: second year. And I've been uh, down, so- just graduated. So yeah. College days that- right now
0: that is awesome. Oh, yeah. did Martin learn how to to surf from you or did he like take that oh, <laughs> uh, <that>, you know, <laughs> does he even have an interest in surfing or He totally
1: like- does. Yeah, he totally does. And uh and he did. I whether he learned from me. I literally one time was yelling at him in the surf like paddle harder because <laughs> it made sense to me as a parent and I, I, i'm being a self-deprecating winemaker at the same time i basically was like yelling at the grapes like firm heads! you know <laughs> and it's like you know this isn't how those is are going to learn from me so i may have turned him off to, to surfing at that point but um uh though it is true if you want to get into a way really get into it but but the point being he, he has learned probably in spite of me to answer your question uh, and a lot of surfing, I think of a lot of things, uh, but surfing, especially, you just need to get out there and do it, uh, almost better if nobody's watching, um, especially dad. And so I uh, am yeah, Martin and yeah. I definitely like to surf when we're together at a place where we can go surfing. And, uh, but part of my advice to him of college was, you know, treat the ocean like an independent study, um, go to all your classes, but don't skip surf class. Uh, and so get that ocean a few times a week. I like to say when you're at sea level, um, and you are invariably at the ocean. There was one time I was in the Puget Sound, and you could see Mount Rainier. I was literally on the on the shores of the Anderson Island in and the Puget Sound, and and I thought it's not often you can be at sea level and see the whole of a mountain. Like you usually don't see right. the whole of the mountain. So literally, but also, uh, you know, I'm an English major. I like metaphor, just these sort of images. Um, and I just thought, well, man, sea level gives you a chance to see the whole of something. If you're at sea level, you might have a better chance of like good clarity, good like perspectives, kind of a good baseline kind of place. Right. Um, and I, I was like, yeah, get, get to sea level, get in that ocean. You will get schooled by it. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so he's really taken that to heart and, uh, and, and has been surfing quite a bunch. And so we went out recently And it was fun because I was out further and he caught a wave and then was, was inside of me, but I could see him standing from behind the wave. And it was just so cool seeing him just surf across the wave and just be like, that's my God. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, I feel like a proud dad for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, oh, I have a 24 year old stepson, you know, he's just doing Uh, some amazing stuff in his life and cool. Oh, you know, your, your heart does nothing but just gleam with joy when you see that sort of stuff, right?
1: Absolutely. And it's all the cliches I found that parenting are true or being an uncle or an aunt or, or whatever relationship any of us might have with with younger people if they aren't, quote, our own. Um, but that uh, that they, you know, they grow and change. They grow like weeds. They the things that they'll say, oh, gosh, this five-year-old's got the wisdom of the world already. You really can. <laughs> or, you know, your 24-year-old stepson and you just see the things they do as this adult the world. Uh, and it's, it's yeah, all the cliches are true. It's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And uh, I never lacked for purpose. But definitely when the kids came along, it was like, well, if I ever thought I lacked for purpose, like, now I know. <laughs> I definitely have right. purpose. Yeah, uh, And that will never end, which is great, even as they have their lives
0: yeah yeah and you know it seemed like recently you just had a another you know kind of bonding moment of uh, team flip-flop out in uh out in napa
1: <laughs> that's exactly right so yeah martin martin and i were driving a sister's car back from her college uh, graduation she's blown off to europe for some fun and uh we had a we had a little inside joke at the winery with actually the winery crew because i i have a facility that i lease with a friend he's now my landlord, which is great. Um, and then I have a few people who make wine and under me or under my bond and license. And so, but one was uh, particularly interested in wearing flip-flops. So we joked that we were team flip-flop. And so anytime I catch myself wearing flip-flops in the wine setting, which usually in the vineyard, you don't want to be in flip-flops. and certainly not in the winery. So it's it's tongue in cheek that team flip-flop usually means we should be putting on our socks and boots, but, uh, but it also on a sunny day in Napa, when we're just checking to sea flowering, it was fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but
1: that's how we do it. I mean, it's you know you gotta have some fun. And, yeah, you, uh,
0: you you definitely do, and it's it's yeah. it's bonding and it's bringing memories and all of that, right? It's that's, that's something right. that you'll never forget, and he'll never forget either.
1: Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And 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 be it that or yesterday we had a, a group from California customers um the new customers to me but but connected to me by people and so people i've never met but they come to the winery we taste we talk they learn about the wines they have questions they're you know they love oregon it's, this group comes every year apparently and 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 you just have these bonding moments whether they're you know my son and me in the vineyard or it's brand new customers from out of state or or somebody i've known my whole life it, it just you, in the context of our winery, the wine production, obviously tasting, enjoying the wines, we just that's how we do it. And uh, I, I think good businesses run that way where they, they, they're the same way to their customers as they are inside to the, each other. Uh, so there's not like a difference, you know, front of house, back of house, or front, you know, out, out in the public or, you know, back in the, back in the stock shelves. Um and, and it's the most natural way kind of to, to live and work. And so we try and exude that without even trying, but I think we right. exude that where it's always serious work, but it's we're always, yeah, we better be having some fun and, and making it or allowing for it to be memorable those kinds of connections are really are what it's all about. But honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if not, not, no pressure Martin, but you know, what if 10 years from now, he's like, you know, dad, I always wanted to join you in this business. And I'd say like, well, I wonder why, like, well, cause you never push. We have fun when we do it. Like, oh, well, I, yeah, I wasn't trying to do that, but maybe that's also part of it. So it's just, uh, my dad always had, a, 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 his advice was always, you know, leave doors open. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't they'll cut things off. It's never going to be this, or it has to be that. It's always like, give yourself options. And in a way we work that way. So there's always the option of somebody saying, this is great. I want more. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, right. And I'd like to think that's how we make the wine. And I'd like to think the wine hopefully exceeds that too. So.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, again, you know, just the, uh, uh, you know, I've tasted with you uh, a couple yeah. times, and you know, on, on the Zoom, and uh, I remember um, just uh, you know, just some some random things. Uh, you know, when you you know joined the Zoom, you know it was you know during lockdown and everything. And oh yeah, everybody was like, "Oh wow, you let your hair grow out and everything." <laughs> and yeah. uh, you, you know, then I saw some earlier pictures of you. I'm like, "No, that's not Vincent. That's not the Vincent that <laughs> I know." <laughs>
1: It'll, I'll be back. Yeah, yeah I, I it wasn't a, it wasn't a COVID hairstyle. It was already the joke was uh, a few years ago I was saying, Oh, I'm I'm gonna get my hair cut and my, my wife and, and the kids, you know, probably closer to high school age at that time, they were like, What? It's just getting good and of course mortally wounded, like, what do you mean? My hair looks terrible. <laughs> and, but the, they were like, oh, no, you look better with longer hair. You should let it grow. And so I let it grow and then COVID happened. And I think my wife was like, uh-oh. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting it cut now.
0: And, no, uh, no. So
1: at this point, I figure, you know, I, I had long hair when I was younger. So this is definitely a midlife crisis. I kid, but uh, at some point it will come off. I, I literally had long hair until I got married. And I, I remember thinking this might be the one time we hire a photographer. My oldest brother, he's a a great guy, rock rib conservative, unlike me. But when he was a teenager, he had long hair. And his long hair photos have been up at my parents' house since then. And I'm sure he's like, (laughs) I could have gotten a haircut. Like, you know. Right. (laughs) So I was like, if I'm going to hire a photographer, it's going to be with the hair kind of more normal as I normally would have it. Well, these days I work for Mm. myself. We'll see. But one of these days, I going to get tired of it. We'll cut it off and I'll probably be the end of long hair. So I'll
0: be back. No, no, that would be so sad.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's fun. It, it is a funny thing. I, it's weird because actually it says, I, I, you know, my physical appearance rarely calls attention to me. People aren't like, you know, you know, there's, I'm not wearing crazy clothes or trying to call attention. But when you have long hair, especially as a guy's in his fifties, People just like, oh, hey, look at you. Oh, hey, hey, mountain man, hippie, you know, (laughs) whatever. So it is interesting that it it draws attention in a way that I don't usually like engender. But, you know. Yeah.
0: It's fun. It it, it, it is fun. And I was uh, out at Dion Vineyards earlier this year.
1: Oh, great. And...
0: uh, you know beth was talking to me he's like you know do you know vincent i'm like yeah yeah i know vincent and she yeah. was like yeah one day you know uh we saw you know some random hippie out there in the middle of the vineyard just walking and they're like who is that and uh <laughs> then they're like oh wait that's vincent
1: yeah right i was literally yeah. there yesterday uh talking to beth i get out of my car and i almost still feel like i have to say hey it's me like people don't don't necessarily but now they recognize me with longer hair so it's funny right, but, right. Uh, no i work with Tom for years what a great old site and uh i work with chardonnay and pinot gris there and uh definitely out looking uh we had the frost issue uh, or i guess now it's april and, uh, two months ago right. Uh, and, and, definitely some frost loss, uh, at Dion, um, but not as bad as I feared at all. And in fact, the, you know, I saw Beth and she's like, Oh, the frost. And I'm like, heck, you know, I was thinking it was a total loss and this is not that at all. So we should be looking pretty good, but there's definitely 20, 30% loss. We're, we're figuring hard to know until, until the freight sets next month. But, uh, once we get there, we'll have a better idea, but, uh, one one thing after another lately with uh, with Mother Nature, I'll tell you, the no, frost it, it, it is a tough one.
0: It, it has been interesting to see the frost. Uh, I've yeah. seen you know some vineyards where you know sections of the vineyard are totally fine, while other sections mm-hmm. you can just see there was there's like zero growth, and it's like wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and even now you'll see it; it's growing, but it's all second shoots, and they just don't produce the same. And, and uh, but they'll grow for next year, because right. uh, it's important we have the growth. But I, it really, uh, it was alarming how widespread it was. It's very unusual for us. And, uh, and it's, while it's not something I, I would expect every year, I, I certainly don't want to say, Oh, it probably won't happen for another 40 years. Uh, who knows Some of these things could happen twice in three years and then not in for 40 years. So who knows, but, right. uh, but quite an unusual one. And I hope I hope the last we see of that, but of course, you know, fire, smoke, there's all kinds of maladies that can happen. We just seem to be getting them all lately. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, So it's not, you know, you got to stay on your toes.
0: Yeah. Most most definitely. Yeah. Um, so you decided to kind of dive into Napa a little bit and Uh, start a project out there.
1: So it's, oh. yeah, and it goes back. I appreciate you bringing up the earliest my early my earliest wine epiphany was tagging along with my parents to Napa wineries. I'm from California. I'm proud of that, and not. not I guess, it. Sounds funny to say that now, but there was a time when it seemed like you know California's like ah Californians, but uh, but I you know it's a, it's a obviously a fantastic state with such a rich history of wine. Um, for all these years though, I'm the Oregon guy. I'll go back to my native Southern California and they'll be like, Oh, it's the Oregon guy. And I'm like, no, I, I grew up near Santa Monica. Like I'm from around here, (laughs) but I'm the Oregon guy. And I love that because I literally represent this place, the Willamette Valley, the volcanic soils, the green sedimentary soils, this vineyard, that hillside. Um, and then the fruit that we grow and how we make the wine and, and, and so it's all embodied in this Oregon experience, and I'm so proud of that, and, and that is not changing. However, um, I've always felt, and my family's heard about this, uh, like a parallel life that, uh, it's as if there's a parallel life for me that where I never left California, perhaps even never left coastal California where I grew up surfing and just kind of, such a different life, and yet it's, you know, I imagine I'd be a, a grown-up like I am, I would have a job like I've had, but I might've gone surfing more after or before work, uh, unlike living in the valley here where it just, you just, I just don't do that. Um, right. and, uh, and so I've always wondered like, huh, what if I uh, a parallel life, if I could write this, you know, fake biography, autobiography of my life if I had never left, you know, the California coast. Well, that person might've actually left the California coast and ended up making wine in Napa. And so I kind of have this idea and this inspiration a few years ago during the COVID lockdown, I ended up tasting some Napa wines from Steve Mathiasen of Mathiasen wines. Definitely a well-known name among the kind of cognoscenti of, of Napa wines these days, but, but certainly not, not at the level of Robert Mondavi or some common household name, but Steve Mathiasen has been growing and, and, and makes just fantastic wines, not just of Cabernet Sauvignon, but certainly Cabernet and, and Merlot of paste wines. Um, and, and I just really had kind of a wine newcomer's epiphany. You know, we had a bottle of wine with dinner of Cabernet and it reminded me of meeting somebody like the grandchild of somebody who you'd known. I guess this mm-hmm. might, might have to be an older person to have this example, but essentially I felt like I am tasting matthias's Cabernets and then a few others from say Kathy and among others I felt like I was tasting 100% contemporary modern wines. These are not like karaoke or trying to be a Renaissance fair of a wine, like a throwback. But they, but they were. They had the same jawline of of, of great grandmother, you know, such and such in the family lineage. And so I could tell in these modern wines the lineage of the past that I'm really interested in, um, and and interested in maybe working in that in that heritage and, and making wines that that speak of a napa history that i that i know that i was inspired by and rather than right. trying to sort of undo history and go back to that or or or, or say oh all this terrible wine in napa these days because it's been fashionable to, to, to say oh napa's terrible it's this high, high prize and it's all ego and there's fantastic wines being made there but there are a lot of wines that i would describe as kind of like overcooking the steak a little like i wish it's all good but if they could just pull it off the grill a few minutes earlier and prep <laughs> it in this case the farming so if you're farming to pick a little earlier you're picking a little earlier to preserve and get a little more of an authentic or kind of a rare quality in the grapes rather than that sort of well done heavy kind of quality um if you're farming with that intention and then picking that intention, then you can maybe perhaps make wines that speak more of the tradition. I I just got really fired up in the past couple of years about saying, you know, I really want to explore that thread. And that says nothing to change the Oregon work I do. And it's certainly uh, not not abandoning uh, Oregon for California or vice versa. But what we're gonna do is work with fruit from Napa, bring it to the Oregon winery and make the wine here. Um, starting this year, 2022. And while I'm only working with one vineyard uh, now, ideally we'll work with a few. I think a classic Napa Cabernet is a blended wine. And it's such an interesting connection to, I have the Oregon, my Oregon winery and my Oregon life, and it's really focused on, on place, you know, this vineyard, that vineyard, the soil type, that aspect. And I'm And and Cabernet certainly responds to those things as well. But my vision for the Cabernet project, the Napa project is to to make a singular Napa Valley, Cabernet Sauvignon from a few sites that would be reflective more of the valleys terroir rather than one specific location or one specific kind of clone of of Cabernet or whatever it may be. Um, And so it's truly a yin yang kind of connection or, or deviation from, that single vineyard focus of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay that I do here in Oregon to a little bit more of a, of a Napa broader kind of focused right. Cabernet. So we'll see what we get. It's, 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 it's to me, incredibly exciting and also kind of culmination of even that, that five-year-old kid who just got a whiff of the barrel cellar and thought, I want more of that. Well, it took almost <laughs> 50 years, but we're going to get more. And I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, no that that is really exciting that you'll get fruit yeah. this year and like in yeah. so 2024 2025 we'll actually actually you know get to see that.
1: That's right. Yeah. So with the, with my with my Oregon wines, everything is barrel aged for a year to about a year and a half, depending on the wine, depending on the sort of the selection. Uh, I like to say that the wines that 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 my Pinot Noirs, for example, that age in barrel for a year and a half, they do so. Because they kind of deserve it, they need it. Um, it's, it's sort of like something that will benefit from that extra time in barrel. Well, when I'm making Cabernet, it's a it's it's just a grape with more with more tannin, more color, more essentially to work out in in the élevage in that barrel time. And so it's no no uh, accident that the tradition is you know a year and a half to two years in barrel or even more, depending right. on you know exactly how you do it. Um, so making the Cabernet, it's certainly not something that will be ready by next spring. So no, you're right. We'll make it this year. I would expect to barrel age it at least a year and a half to a couple years. Bottle it. By then, we'll have made 23, maybe even be making 2024 wine. And so before we even have anything to show the public, we'll have a few vintages uh, together. And uh, and again, it's just it's really exciting for admittedly what is now still an idea. I mean, it's happening, but we, we saw right, and right. brought the fruit in. It was great, though, to be in the vines last last week in Napa and and see, actually, the fruit set and, and really see these tiny pea berries on the vine, but recognize, like, this is it. This is, you know, like a picture of the baby from the ultrasound, you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're,
0: it's that, no, and that, that, yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's so. Yeah, no, it, it's exciting when you get to you know dive into new projects and explore and kind of push yourself outside. You know what you've been doing for so long. That's um,
1: right.
0: Yeah, yeah and I, I, you know I, I'll I'm say I,
1: that. I'm
0: I'm very much looking forward to you know your expression of a cab and to see where yeah. it comes about. Uh, you know I I have a couple bottles of Tony Soder's last mm. cab that he made, which was a, an 07. Yeah. and just. You, you know, it's th- those are precious little memories and to hold on to those. And, uh, yeah, I, I I'll just no, say, it, I, I can't wait.
1: Mentioning Tony is a great one because there's, you know, there these connections in the past of, uh, of California winemakers or people who made wine in California who come in that case back to Oregon, uh, but who made Cabernet in Napa. Cabernet-based wines, which, is a, more broadly speaking, uh, with Tony's Tony's experience, but then also to be making Oregon Pinot Noir and to be so revered for Oregon Pinot Noir, I'm certainly going the opposite direction. You know, the old story of, of the pioneers here in the '60s and '70s was it was mostly Californians who come here against better advice. Oh, go to Oregon, you can't get fruit ripe. Well, that turned to be wrong, but. Right. You yeah, have this, the story of Oregon wine as often these Californians who came here and here I am in California maybe <laughs> years later, but I do think it is sort of novel and, and maybe turn about being fair play as the British like to say, to have the Oregon producer now go to California, it usually would seem to go the other way. And, uh, and I'm like, no, 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 we're going to, you know. Mercury and retrograde or something where we're, we're going to Napa and of all the places I'll, t- I'll tell you, uh, one of the, this wasn't a reason for the inspiration, but it was more, uh, when I was thinking about how crazy is this idea to do a Napa project, I, I, I got kind of some ballast or boost from thinking, honestly, you'll hear a lot of newer and certainly younger winemakers in California say, oh, I'm making, you know, Chasselas from the Sierra foothills or, or just some, some less common grape from a less, you know, famous growing region. Um, and 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 the idea being like cuz well Napa, you know, it's so expensive and it's a cabernet dominant like if we're going to do fun stuff, we, we can't do it there. And I was like, wait a minute. We're going mean, to we're going to make serious wine here, but we're going to do it the way we make wine, which is a very simple. It's not about the technique, it's not about heavy ripeness or heavy use of new wood. Um, It's a very gentler, lighter approach, but not light in that, you know, you don't need to make a tenderloin tender, it comes tender. And so uh, I don't need to make a wine heavy. It can have heft and intensity and all this, but what we're not gonna do is kind of overdo it, right? And so I wanna approach really, frankly, fancy rarefied fruit, Napa, Cabernet, but really approach it as you would some less you know more vedra from the sierra foothills where we're going to you know just sort of make it in a much more free way i i really want to bring that kind of freedom to the winemaking, to even the fanciest most expensive fruit and really i said money you know kind of put your money where your mouth is if, if if that's really the right way to produce wine i think it is and if the better the fruit the less you have to do to it well we're going we're gonna to make Napa wine that way. And I, I do think at the other end of it, you're going to hopefully get a wine of exceptional purity um, and, uh, and, and, and ultimately deliciousness. Um, yeah. I never want to overlook that, but that it, it will truly be, wow, this wine is both rich and yet not heavy. I, wa- I want to kind of thread that needle um, so that it's a, it's a real Cabernet and it's a Napa Cab. Right. And yet it's not like, you know, it's chocolate ice cream, but it's not like triple chocolate salad <laughs> yeah. destroyer, you know, it's right. Like, no, right. No, 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 we just want good chocolate. You know, like, right. Yeah, right. powerful. It, you know, so yeah, it, yeah it's not the, just don't let it, don't leave well enough alone. So that's my goal yeah. with this is, is really yeah. let it shine.
0: Yeah. No, that, that will be great. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. How about we wrap, kind of wrap things right. up with some rapid fire questions. You bet. Uh, during harvest, who is your favorite favorite artist to listen to?
1: <laughs> True stories, Jerry Garcia band. <laughs> yeah, if we could put on little we'll cats oh, okay. under the stars. Nice. That that will that will. But the evening work in the winery is going to go much better if if we're putting that on. So
0: <laughs> very nice. Um, what is your favorite indulgent food? Favorite
1: indulgent food. Goodness gracious! I would say, dungeonous crab. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't All know right. how. Maybe that's indulgent, but you know, or scallop, you know, like that, like, like rich seafood. That thing you're going to eat a lot of it. You're going to probably drink good wine with it. Probably some butter involved. So there you go.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you'd be <laughs> like, oh, I ate too much afterwards. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> how am I going to do this again tomorrow? I better, I better say that. No, I kid.
0: Oh, your harvest notes, are they digital or handwritten?
1: Everything's digital into the phone. I honestly, true story. I I am a, I'm a mostly left-handed person, but I think people put the pen in my right hand because I was educated by nuns growing up and they literally would give me C minuses for my handwriting. And I used to joke like that was charitable because my handwriting was terrible. I'm convinced I should have written with my left hand. My right hand was never that great. Over time, they taught me how to type in high school. They're like, now you, and now we, we've taught you to type, now we expect all the papers typed. I'm like, oh, okay, great. But it, it saved me because I'm a typer, I'm a note taker digitally, and then I have access to it everywhere. So people in the winery think I'm crazy. We have a bunch of younger people who I look at them and think, "Oh, they're all digital generation people, and they have like fancy composition notebooks." And I'm just into the phone,
0: right? No, I think that's the best way to do it.
1: I think, I mean, I I, in 2017, my harvest guy was like, "We have to use a book." I'm like, "Okay, we'll use a book," and I was like, "No, that just didn't work."
0: So (laughs)
1: I'm an old-fashioned guy. Love books. Love print. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Scary. So that I'm just awesome.
0: I'm just out of curiosity. What do you use on your phone to to like record all your, all your notes?
1: Apple Notes. I just type in okay. the notes. Just in the right. notes. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, all right. But it's searchable or just findable, as I like to say. Right. Stuff is yeah. just findable.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, I, yeah, yeah. If you could choose a superpower, what would it be?
1: <sighs> superpower. Um. Without getting into the, you know, ripping the space-time fabric apart, but time travel, definitely. If that's a superpower, it should be.
0: It should be. It definitely should be.
1: It should be. Uh, Otherwise, how about x-ray vision so I could identify all the morel mushrooms and chanterelle mushrooms? So you could just look (laughs) at the forest and it would just glow wherever you should go. That would ruin it, Boom. though, because we love to look for these things. But dang it, sometimes you're like, I know they're out here. What if we could just are a blacklight them? And <laughs> 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 just where are they? <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. So that's my secret
1: mushroom-finding ability.
0: That would be awesome. Uh, your favorite superhero?
1: Favorite superhero? Um, ah, totally, totally pandering. But Wonder Woman. I'm okay. sorry, Wonder Woman. She was yeah. always awesome. She obviously looked good, but she was like she was absolutely uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, but then I my when I met my wife, she she had a photo of herself dressed up as Wonder Woman. I was like, <laughs> Okay, you're the one
0: We're done. Uh, We're good. That
1: sounds terrible. But uh, Wonder
0: no Woman, No, you know. no, it's not no, not yeah. bad at all. She had the, the uh, transparent
1: jet. I mean she had she had the, the oh, bracelets and the, and the
0: lasso stuff. and
1: the last, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just everything worked too, yeah. and she just, she did she, would, she could, yeah,
0: yeah, everything to complain about, exactly. And then the final rapid fire is uh, the last book that you read.
1: The last book that I read is Streets of Laredo by Larry McMurtry, part of the Lonesome Dove quadrilogy. Uh, nice. trilogy. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm working through yeah. those books. They're actually, uh, not actually, but. They're fantastic. I'd always heard that McMurtry's a great writer, but you know, I, I, I don't know, uh, perhaps when I was younger, uh, Lonesome Dove came out as like a mini series on TV at a time when I right. didn't have a TV or it just was like in that probably I was 20 or 25. I was like, ah, I see a television, it's a bunch of garbage. And, uh, and I just always equated it. I was like, Lonesome Dove, like, the worst wine name, like oh, Whispering Dove or <laughs> Lonesome Meadow, or you know, it just seemed right. horrible. And then it took me some years to realize it's it's actually one of the one of the greats of, of 20th century American writing. <laughs> and, uh, wow! So I judged the book by its name, if not its cover, and the fact that it was some tawdry sort of miniseries there for a while. But uh, but it's really good. So uh, yeah. yeah, Streets of no, Laredo.
0: I'll have to check that out.
1: Yeah, highly oh. recommend it. In fact, I, one of my winery mates, Team Flip Flop mate, Jessica Wilmus of, of uh, Sunshine Effect Wines and, and other labels, uh, she told me I have to read Comanche Moon, which I think is the last one in the whole series, and I was going to read it, but I realized I have to read the other ones to get up to it. So I got a book recommendation from Team Flip Flop to read McMurtry, and that's what we're doing. So
0: nice <laughs> it all
1: ties that that is together. <laughs>
0: it, it, everything ties together it's just it's it's uh phenomenal how you know it, it all does tie together Absolutely. Yeah. yeah well is there anything you know that you that you uh would like to mention that i maybe left out or anything or
1: Nothing that I can think of other than saying, I, it, it, one, it's a pleasure being on your podcast. Uh, but uh, I, Thank I, you. I, I did meet you through your tasting group, uh, and I remember, you know, AJ's happy hour, and and I sort of logged on originally, and that was yeah a couple of years ago, and man, there were like thirty people there, like. <laughs> a crowd <laughs> and they were yeah. just locals you know so uh so right. it's, it was really you you're quite a connector in the wine world uh organically and now through the pod uh this is uh i just think it's great and i mean this sincerely uh i was yeah. listening and i think i even mentioned oh hey i heard you on another pod or whatnot." And you're like right well, we should have you on this and i'm like well that'd be awesome but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, i'm i i've I admire what you do, and I'm uh, glad to be a part of it.
0: So today, well, I, I really appreciate you know having you on yeah. and you, you taking the time. And, uh, uh, and you know, uh, so let me see. Your mailing list is at vincentwines.com.
1: VincentWineCompany.com okay. is our specific right. URL, and uh, there are a lot of Vincent's in the wine world. So that there's no other Vincent Wine Company, but Vincent being the patron saint of winemakers, it's a common name in the world right. of wine. So, But, yeah, you can sign up for my mailing list, VincentWineCompany.com. And it, it doesn't – it functions like a club that you don't have to buy anything. But, essentially, you get on the list. We we write our newsletters throughout the year but make special offers on, on you know, pre-release pricing on upcoming wines. So people on the list get the first shot at it. They get the best pricing. Um, maybe the only shot in the case of some wines that sell quick or just there, there isn't much of – and so for me, it's how I like to buy. I love being on people's lists. I love not having to buy, but I love getting something. And then they're like, man, that's cool. I need that. And then I buy. Right. And I find that people interact with me much the same way. And so you can be on the list and never purchase and you might learn stuff. You might see fun photos. Who knows? And that's great. Like no problem. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, but if you want to be a customer, we're ready. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. And, you know, I think uh, a bigger thing to even point out is, you know, your the pricing of your wine is crazy affordable and, you know, very approachable. And, you know, the the quality is like top notch in there as well. So, I mean, thank
1: you. Yeah, I I feel inspired by the classic wines of the world, not just the avant garde kind of natural wine or, or whatnot. I really feel like our work fits into the world of wine, past and present and ideally future. Um but yeah it's just uh i feel like you know the wines have really found an audience and 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 i'm ultimately surprised if i was a singer i would say i love to sing but i wouldn't necessarily expect anyone to like the the music you know right and so here i'm making wine and it you know i i can only hope people tolerate it right it seems to be going all right and and i feel so lucky because I really wanted to make wine, and I and I was really hoping people'd be into it. But I, I you know, you can't make that be, and so right. I, I feel so fortunate that people are interested. That hardly a day passes where somebody isn't like, "Hey, put me on your list," or "I want to talk on the pod," or "I want to know more about what you do." That's the most flattering, amazing thing, and so uh, I'm yeah. here for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I. Yeah. No. Keep up the great work, and you know, Thanks, I can't a. wait a. to see what happens for you in the, in the future.
1: Uh, you bet, you bet. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. No, thank you so much.
1: All right.